Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. Conservatives are at war with woke corporations as a flurry of boardroom initiatives and company policies, from diversity and voting laws to equality and religious freedom, ruffle a lot of feathers. Justin Danoff of the National Centre for Public Policy Research, as well as the Free Enterprise Project, has taken on the battle by using shareholder activism. And he is my guest coming up. Let's engage with the companies, right? Because what does a boycott do? It takes your voice out of the room. So if we're debating voter integrity measures and their validity in the state of Georgia, and we take our ball and we go home, well, now we're amplifying Stacey Abrams' voice. Conservatives don't want to do that. So like, that's why we at the Free Enterprise Project have engaged with businesses for so long. And it's in part because we've watched how the left has you know, gotten to the point where big business carries the water for them on almost every single issue. All we did at the Free Enterprise Project was reverse engineer what the left's been doing for two decades plus. We just buy up shares in companies that we want to have our voice in the room. We don't want to divest from a company or boycott from a company. We want them to hear from us. Let me tell you, John, it's been, it's been an incredible month of activism at the Free Enterprise Project. We have gotten Bank of America, Pfizer, Citi, Goldman Sachs, Amex, all to walk back their specific complaints about Georgia's law because their complaints were unfounded. They probably took the action to back Stacey Abrams and the left's wildly offensive claims that what Georgia's doing today is akin to Jim Crow. Jim Crow was real and it was really racist. Mm-hmm. To compare these things is just so offensive. So when we confronted these CEOs with, here's your statement, here's what the law is, how do you square that? They've all had to walk them back. A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political, and social upheaval, life on planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions, and above all, hope. For our existential crisis. Justin Danoff is the General Counsel at the National Center for Public Policy Research in Washington and Director at the Center's Free Enterprise Project. Launched in 2007, the Free Enterprise Project focuses on shareholder activism and the confluence of big government and big business, and it promotes free market ideals about healthcare, energy, taxes, subsidies, religious freedom, food policies, media bias, and lots more. Justin Danoff says the ground may be shifting. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. This year, if you look at the Gallup polling, Mm. big business is underwater with conservatives for the first time ever. It never has been that way. The, 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 The percentage of support amongst conservatives for big business in one year dropped from 57% all the way down to 31%. Sherlock, it's grand to have you back. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. 
My guest is Justin Danoff. He is the General Counsel for the National Centre for Public Policy Research in Washington, as well as the Director of the Centre's Free Enterprise Project. You'll get a lot of valuable insights from Justin as he weighs in on many controversial topics, including the Equality Act. If this becomes law, the Equality Act would prohibit anyone from even arguing that its enforcement meddles with the fundamental right to practice religion. That sounds like the tip of a very dangerous iceberg. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Justin, welcome to my show. Hey, it's a pleasure, John. Appreciate it. Your group has gone after many corporations in America with your campaign, and the most recent one is Capital One, and your organization says its support of the so-called Equality Act discriminates against women and Americans of faith. Now, most people probably get the idea of the discriminating against women in sports. That's easy to grasp. But the idea of it discriminating against Americans of faith, could you explain that to us? Because that's that's a pretty heavy charge, and it's serious if it's true. Yeah, absolutely. So the Equality Act, if you actually dig into the legislation, which I'm going to venture a guess that nobody at Capital One really did, right? Uh, It excises the 1993 Religious Freedom Restoration Act from consideration. So it literally excises a federal protection in the law for Americans of faith. Um, So that this is a a very serious concern. Uh, Faith-based groups, faith-based individuals, uh, they're, they're federal protections that, again, 1993 wasn't too, too long ago when the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was signed into law. And who was president then? Well, Mr. Clinton. And who wrote the, you know, who, or co-authored, I should say, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act at the time? It was none other than the lion of the Senate, Ted Kennedy. So it wasn't too long ago that religious freedom was considered a fundamental human right here in the United States and protect and very bipartisan. Right. Barack Obama, during his administration, said that, you know, religious freedom is a fundamental human right because it's part of human dignity. So really, we're, we're, we're jumping to a rapid you know, escalation in the far left's control of the liberals in Washington, D.C. In practice, what does that mean for religious liberties are taken away under this act? It means that you can't have a religious objection right, to, to, the, to the law. So that anybody objecting to what the law would mean in practice, they have no standing if they were to sue um, under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. They, they excise that. The law literally writes it out of your, your standing to sue. Wow. So have any others objected or did they even understand the ramifications of this? Yeah, there's scholars at the Heritage Foundation who are writing on this regularly um, and they're out in the media letting folks know. I, I suspect that some of the religious freedom defense groups, such as Alliance Defending Freedom, are already trying to think of ways to litigate this through the courts, because I think ultimately that's where this is going to play out. If the Equality Act gets over the hump in the U.S. Senate, right, it's passed in the U.S. House. It's currently you know, stalled in the Senate. But our, from our angle, we're looking at exposing the corporate support for this because, well, hey, we're not we don't really need to expose it. The corporations aren't hiding it. Right. The human rights campaign has been um, coalescing the business community on this issue since at least 2016 to the point 
that on the human rights campaign's website, they've got over 400 major corporations, including, like you mentioned, Capital One. Um, but there's also, you know, Marriott, Amazon, just a who's who of corporate America that the human rights campaign at least claims they back the Equality Act. So those, we've been pressing these companies. And interestingly, last week, we also pressed Marriott on this issue. And we mentioned the excising of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and the effect that this could have on women's sports. And they said, their CEO said, yeah, we do support the Equality Act, but we should look to address those concerns in the Senate um, because those are real concerns with the legislation. So query whether the human rights campaign is actually overstating the case in some instances of the corporations supporting the legislation. Because again, our suspicion is that many of these corporate CEOs um, just signed up for a couple of reasons. First, they didn't think they'd ever get pushback, right? Because conservatives have not really pushed back against woke corporations in any meaningful way, really ever. <laughs> and so, you know, they think that, hey, we'll get an attaboy from the human rights campaign um, and, and some in the far left press and nobody else is going to say boo. Well, that's why we at the Free Enterprise Project, we show up and we say boo. A quick summary on the women's sports side, which many of us are familiar with, but it's maybe a recap on what it could mean if this becomes law. So what this would do is put what's going on in the state of Connecticut on steroids, in our opinion. A lot of folks have seen the headlines of biological males at the high school level in Connecticut winning track race after track race, coming in first and second place, these two biological males, in numerous state-level track events, right? So the best a girl can do is get third. Well, that would nationalize that. So, you know, at the collegiate level, at the high school level, and even all the way down to the, to the grade school level, subjectively, you can participate in female sports if that's what you say you want. Um, your birth certificate, what's listed on there will not matter. So we've seen this at the NCAA level as well already. Um, there's been a few college athletes, and we'll see it at the Olympic level, I, I have to imagine, in, in short order. The sports issue is just one, right? Because... If you think about what that does to those girls in Connecticut, for example, that's college scholarships that they're losing out on, right? That's, that's real. That's tangible. I mean, that's taking the glass ceiling and throwing it right back over their heads. Um, when you think about federal and state programs for women-owned businesses, for example, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of you know, incentives for women-owned businesses that can now just be kissed goodbye, because subjectively, a man can come in and say, you know, they can they can apply for it and you can't say anything about it because you can't question someone on the subjectivity of their gender anymore. This is not the only issue at play. There have been the Georgia voting laws and others that you have been very active on. Yeah. So when it comes to Georgia, I mean, I, I lost track. People kept sending me company after company. It was many hundreds of leading American companies that, you know, just lined up to basically carry the political water for, for Stacey Abrams. And let's just take a step back. So we've, we've been confronting many of these companies, right? But why, why Georgia? Why so many companies? Well, first of all, there's this inherent conservative knee-jerk reaction that we're just going to boycott all these terrible companies, right? There's this expression, go woke, go broke. In my reading of that, that's just a fundamental lie, right? Conservatives say this all the time when a company takes an action that's anathema to our values, go woke, go broke. Well, prove it. 
When has that ever worked? The history of the conservative boycott is a, is a historic failure. So since we've been saying this to companies for so long, and, you know, like take Nike, you know, go woke, go broke, where everyone goes on Twitter and Facebook and, you know, puts their, burns their Nikes every time Nike takes an action. Well, you know, when they got involved in the bathroom bill in North Carolina, conservatives said we were going to boycott. Their stock price went up, their sales went up, revenues went up. Same thing when they signed Colin Kaepernick. Stock price went up, sales went up, revenues went up. So they know that that's based on, that that's a lie, that we're not going to carry that out. And my whole opinion, and, and let's focus back in on Georgia, is let's engage with the companies, right? Because what does a boycott do? It takes your voice out of the room. So if we're debating voter integrity measures and their validity in the state of Georgia, and we take our ball and we go home, well, now we're amplifying Stacey Abrams' voice. Conservatives don't want to do that. So like, that's why we at the Free Enterprise Project have engaged with businesses for so long. And it's in part because we've watched how the left has you know, gotten to the point where big business carries the water for them on almost every single issue. And so that, that's, we've watched how the left has engaged as shareholder activists. That's all we did at the Free Enterprise Project was reverse engineer what the left's been doing for two decades plus. We just buy up shares in companies that we want to have our voice in the room. We don't want to divest from a company or boycott from a company. We want them to hear from us because with Georgia, let me tell you, John, it's been, it's been an incredible month of activism at the Free Enterprise Project. We have gotten, you know, Bank of America, Pfizer, Citi, Goldman Sachs, Amex, all to walk back their specific complaints about Georgia's law because their complaints were unfounded. And again, they probably took the action to, you know, to back Stacey Abrams and the left's wildly offensive claims that what Georgia's doing today is akin to Jim Crow. Jim Crow was real and it was really racist. Mm -hmm. To compare these things is just so offensive. So when we've confronted these CEOs with, here's your statement, here's what the law is, how do you square that? They've all had to walk them back. And so while there's a lot of conservatives on, you know, Again, they're putting out tweets. We're going to boycott the woke. We showed up and we engaged and we got, we got you know, the, the result that everyone's claiming they want. Um, and so that's, that's my message is, you know, buy up. You know, you, you know how much stock you need to attend a shareholder meeting of a publicly traded company, John? No. One share. A share, a share of Coca-Cola is what, like 42 bucks right now? So, yeah, that, that, that's our message is, you know, the left has succeeded so well through constant vigorous engagement um, and the conservative, you know, history of a boycott's a failure and the threat of it actually hurts the cause more than, more than you think. So shareholder activism is the way to go. That's how the left has done it so successfully, you're saying? That's one of the tools. They use lots of tools, but this is an incredibly powerful tool. If we, if, when it comes to shareholder activism, there's a couple uh, entry points, right? So you can do what we did at these last couple of shareholder meetings, like I mentioned, of American Express, Bank of America, and you can show up if you own one share. If you own a little bit more, you can file shareholder resolutions. And these have come to fly under the banner these days of something called ESG, right? Environment, social, and corporate governance issues. Mm -hmm. Really what ESG means in large part is whatever a liberal interest group is trying to achieve in a business. So if I put up a pie chart of all of the, you know, policy and political type resolutions, shareholder resolutions filed each year. We file between 20 and 25 at the Free Enterprise Project. 
on any given year, the left files three, four, five, six hundred. So you, you, you barely would even see our sliver on the pie chart, right? It's, it's a small percentage. And these are some well, well capitalized left wing groups. Um, you know, we're talking about, you know, the, the Sierra Clubs, the green pieces, but also like Trillium Asset Management, Walden Asset Management, like CalPERS, CalSTRS, right? Retirement systems with, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. So that's a lot. Again, if we put up a pie chart of the money, you know, behind the shareholder movements, then you really wouldn't see my slipper. It wouldn't even be on there. So that's the left engaging constantly and regularly. And let me give you one tangible example of why shareholder resolutions, which may seem very like, you know, page 20 of the Wall Street Journal, like, I, why would I care about this? Let me tell you why folks should care about shareholder resolutions and why they should really start voting on them. First, money's fairly evenly split in America, investment money. But what we have at annual shareholder meetings where these votes take place for shareholder resolutions is what I like to say the equivalent of a red or purple state election that goes blue every single year because conservatives couldn't be bothered to show up and vote. The left votes, they coalesce their money. So that's, that's reason number one. Reason number two is I like to say what seems crazy now from the shareholder activists will become mainstream in three or four years if it's not stopped in its infancy. So let me give you one good example of this. You know, three, four, five years ago, there was this proliferation of shareholder resolutions basically demanding affirmative action for boards of directors, okay? These were pushed by groups like the SEIU and backed by folks like Jesse Jackson. Fast forward to 2020, Goldman Sachs says, we're not gonna bring your company public, we're not gonna finance your IPO unless your board is sufficiently diverse in our view. NASDAQ has put together a rule where they are gonna delist, they are gonna kick off any company from its own exchange if they don't have two diverse board seats set aside, right? So in three or four years, the agent of change went from Jesse Jackson to Goldman Sachs and the NASDAQ. Okay, so that's what is so important for folks to understand about resolutions. They have an incredible impact on our culture. What are they pushing for this year? Well, now that they've got, you know, mainstream or Main Street to take up their causes, Wall Street, I should say, really, to take up their cause on, on the affirmative action part, they're pushing for things like, quote, non-management employee set-asides on boards of directors. Right. What's that code for? Union members, SEIU, to be given seats on the boards. I don't know about you, John, but I don't want the SEIU making, you know, board level decisions for corporate America. It's already bad enough out there. The National Center has shares in a lot of corporations in America. How many? Um, probably at this point, maybe 250 or so. And you've taken campaigns against numerous companies lately. How many of those? Oh yeah, we've taken we we we've been to 20 shareholder meetings already this year. We're going to be at two more tomorrow, a uh, cup, you know, one on Wednesday. I mean, the, it's just we'll probably go to 40 or 40 or so shareholder meetings this year, this year. Some of the biggest stakeholders in these public companies are institutional investors. That's right. You know, I'm sure it varies. You know, you've got the fidelities and you've got all big money and their politics can vary quite a lot. How do they influence this process? So Wall Street's like many industry, Wall Street's kind of follow the leader game, right? And so here's where the, you know, the, the weaponization of the, the capital 
is so dangerous. So BlackRock is the largest asset manager in the world, mm. right? And their CEO, Larry Fink, he is all in on these far left ESG shareholder resolutions. And he, he takes it to the point where BlackRock, if your board isn't making sufficient progress in Larry Fink's mind towards a carbon neutral world, he votes against the board members. So he's taking it to the next level. And so what happens then? Well, in short order, Vanguard and State Street do whatever BlackRock does. So that's a lot of voting power that you would think um, would vote for things that are in the best interest of shareholders, because, you know, at the end of the day, that's, you know, there's a legal responsibility, a fiduciary responsibility to shareholders. But Fink just uses, and frankly, it's other people's money, right? Because BlackRock, that's passive money. That's not his money, obviously. Uh, it's managed money. Right. So he's using other people's money to vote for ESG resolutions at American corporations. So he's putting an increased cost of doing business on American corporations so he can please his own personal politics. So and, and let me stop you there then, Justin. Is that his personal politics? you think Larry Fink is genuinely a left or a far left liberal? He's certainly to the left. Look at, I mean, listen to anything he says in Davos, right? I mean, he, he speaks the language of Davos, I like to say. Um, okay. So either he's a very good actor um, playing, playing a liberal character in front of the finance crowd wherever he speaks, um, or this is, you know, I, I can't read a man's heart and mind, but his actions speak very loud. How far can this go before we're just going over the deep end. I mean, this has come out of somewhere. We could go into the history of this, but it's all recent in many ways. All these corporations have taken on these quote-unquote uh, woke policies and pushing and promoting them. This never happened a decade ago. So I like to say this. Companies like to get nine-tenths woke, but they don't want to get ten-tenths woke. Because then they're out of business, right? <laughs> so we can take a couple of concrete examples of this. Uh, one is, I believe it was Prop 22 in California that would have altered um, what, you know, the contract workers uh, and how they're identified. And this was largely aimed at uh, Uber and Lyft, right, to make their drivers full-time employees, which would, of course, mean that they couldn't operate in the state of California anymore. Their, their business model would fall apart. So Uber and Lyft are super woke on lots of issues. But they spent like $200 million to defeat that proposition in California because they don't actually want to mothball their own companies. So they'll, they'll get that far woke. And the other, you know, the other pushback that's really, I almost find this one comical. But when the Business Roundtable, um, who now is led by Doug McMillan, the Walmart CEO, but at the time was led by Jamie Dimon in 2019, when they came out with their new statement of a purpose of a corporation, I'm not sure if you know, many of your, your, your listeners saw that, but it's very important, dynamic shift. In 2019, the Business Roundtable in August of that year said that we no longer um, believe in the stakeholder or the shareholder model of capitalism. We believe in the stakeholder model of capitalism. Then they went on to list all the quote unquote stakeholders that they care about, and they left shareholders at the very end of the list. Well, I immediately penned an article in The Hill and I said, you guys are going to get shareholder resolutions coming out of every single liberal group demanding changes to things like your corporate structure, to your environmental spending and yada, yada. Well, fast forward. What's another big shareholder proposal that's new for this year? The left is calling on companies to change their corporate structure to become public benefit corporations, like to actually take those words 
and to make that the law, like the, the, or, the, or to make that their, their corporate structure, which of course, if you look at Elizabeth Warren's 2018, quote, Saving Capitalism Act, I mean, the left is so good at these names that are just the opposite of what's true. Well, she would ingrain that in the corporate law. The stakeholder model would become the law and the fiduciary obligation to shareholders that we know you know, as the current construct would, would go by the wayside. So all these companies like BlackRock has gotten one of these resolutions, uh, JP Morgan, they've pushed back on that, right? So they don't actually want to change their corporate structure. These resolutions are starting to gain steam and popularity and vote percentages. So this is, I mean, this is, you're right there. This is about like, you know, that that's the line. So I, I think we found the line is changing their structure or bankrupting the companies. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure, um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. My guest is Justin Danoff. He is the General Counsel for the National Center for Public Policy Research in Washington, as well as the Director of the Center's Free Enterprise Project. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Are you recommending that conservatives and Americans who support traditional values are just ordinary Americans, middle America, and our shareholders of these companies show up at these meetings, even if they've only a few shares and become active? Is that what they got to do as a matter of urgency? Yeah, we have to balance out the discussion, right? Right now, I mean, we're the only group that actively engages in this year after year after year from the from the right of center perspective, but it doesn't have to you know, I always say I'd love a million copycats out there. These companies, I mean, they're they're flooding these shareholder meetings with folks from every single liberal interest group you can think of. So these companies that are, you know, already moving very far to the left, they're not far enough left for the activists. They're not even close. So after a while, you know, even if they're just trying to appease the activists to take action, the, the companies almost have no choice but to do do what the activists are demanding because they're the only ones demanding anything. It's the squeaky wheel. And so my whole goal, I like to, I like to say, let's build the companies an off-ramp, an off-ramp from woke. So if the left is over here making a lot of noise, why don't we get on the other side and making a lot of noise? And the companies will say, hey, we don't want to satisfy either of you guys. We're just going to take the off-ramp in the middle and get out of this and get back to what, you know, their job is. <laughs> to make the best products and services uh, that they can to increase their market share. Um, so yeah, that's, look, and again, you don't come to a shareholder meeting if you, if you can. Great. But also just, if you're an investor, every company has this crazy thing called investor relations. Contact them. You know, don't just post on Facebook and Twitter when you're mad, because guess what? Your friends and family probably largely agree with you anyway. 
Yeah. Right. So who are you? Who are you influencing? You know, guess what? The companies are all on these social media pages. Contact the companies directly on Facebook, directly on Twitter. Right. If you're if you're not an investor, that's okay. If you're a consumer, guess what? Every company has this thing called customer relations. Right. And again, if these businesses, they all claim they care about stakeholders now and not shareholders anyway. Well, guess what? Everybody's a stakeholder. There's so many entry points to communicate with business um, that you, you can let your voice be part of the discussion. We've seen a lot of rallies, protests, left-wingers on the streets of America the past 12 months, a mass movement. Does it surprise you sometimes that conservatives or those who support these traditional values that we've been sort of talking about haven't been on the streets in the same numbers, or are they just a little bit behind in organizing? Well, a little bit is being kind. <laughs> we're, we're a lot of it behind, John. So um, look, when I started, you know, working on this project and talking to, you know, conservatives to get involved in this like 10, 12 years ago, most, fo- most folks on the right of center thought I had like a tinfoil hat on. And I was trying to explain that business isn't with you anymore. And it was really a hard sell. It's not a hard sell anymore. And we have a data point to prove it. This year, for the very first time, if you look at the Gallup polling, mm. big business is underwater with conservatives for the first time ever. It never has been that way. The, wow. the, the, the percentage of support amongst conservatives for big business in one year dropped from 50, 57% all the way down to 31 Wow. And again, Gallup's been running this poll for a very long time. And conservatives have always thought business was with us, partly because of the big lie. Right. The media, the, 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 you know, the far left media's big lie that big business and country club, club Republicans are the reason that everyone else has a bad life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that it was just a big lie. It's sold throughout, you know, far left media and academia. There's a, a constant demonization of big business. while at the whole time, it was really just a bunch of gaslighting because business was steadily marching to the left. And it's look, it's I, I like to say it's the same way they took over academia. Right. It's a tripart takeover. They set up, you know, this system whereby called tenure that was supposed to be for academic freedom. No, it was to blackball conservatives and traditional Americans from getting leadership and and lifetime tenure. Well, the same thing. These boards, these boards of directors now, if you, you know, if you look at the the political affiliation and donations of the board members, the Fortune, you know, 500, it skews dramatically to the left these days. Right. And that was an intentional thing The the search firms that you know are, are used by these large corporations to identify new board members lean dramatically to the left these days. Um, you know, look at look at how many folks from the Obama administration have leadership positions in big business these days compared with anybody from the Trump administration. The door was shut for them. And so that's a top-down part of the takeover. Then there's you know two other parts. What we've been talking about this whole time, this outside-in part. Or these, you know, the outside voices, the outside investors. Again, it's our tiny sliver versus this mass. And then it's the bottom-up problem. College campuses, especially graduate school. You know, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I went to law school. Conservative self-censor because you'd be an idiot not to, right? Your grade is beholden to a professor who you know hates your guts. Well, <laughs> that's the same thing in business, John. Mm. The cancel culture. Do you know what it really is? It's it's Gina Carano to a degree at Disney, sure. But it's the employee at Coca-Cola who simply doesn't want to go to this training that says that all black people are oppressed and all white people are oppressors and then tells them that they somehow need to change their melatonin levels of their skin color. 
And they don't, they can't go to HR and say, this is nonsense. That's the cancel culture is those employees now have to do the same thing. They have to self-censor or they're, you know, they might be out of a job tomorrow. At the very least, they'll be sent to some sort of re-education camp put together by HR. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the real cancel culture. to sound like Soviet Russia. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's very real though. Like, I can't tell you how many emails I get from employees at companies after I go to their shareholder meetings. And they'll email me from their private account and be like, you have no idea how bad it really is here. Mm. This is you're, you're you're over the target. You're identifying these things that these comp, the comp, these trainings are just so offensive. Um, mm. But they can't. And they want to hold on to their jobs, so they don't feel they have a recourse. Yeah, and it's and here's the here's the funny part. The other side obviously doesn't have you know any 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 qualms about going to management, going to HR, and demanding what they want. So you know we want to fund that you know gay pride parade next week. We want to fund Planned Parenthood. Um, we want you to stop pack giving to, you know, conservatives and pro-life politicians. They're very vocal, just like the woke college students are. I think most Americans who go to the office or to the job site each day just want to live a quiet life and come home in the evening. They could care less about this stuff. They don't want to be offensive to their co-worker. They want to do the right thing. But when it gets this over powering policy coming from HR or the board, then it becomes a challenge for a lot of these workers. Oh, big time. I, I feel for anybody working in corporate America these days. Yeah, there, there's pressure. There, there's lots of pressure. A, you know, first it's, you know, it's your paycheck. So there's pressure point number one. But like, it, yeah, I mean, I just can't see somebody coming home in the evening saying, hey, Han, I just walked out because I didn't sign the HR document. I'm out of a job. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, you have to, you know, sign at the end of the training that you attended the training and you, you know, answered the right questions, dutifully, you know, did did what you were told. And look, again, when we're talking about like the imbalance of the voices, one thing that would strike your listeners, John, because this struck me, is this these rating systems. And these questionnaires on, uh, and surveys that come from, you know, their, their ESG, their social issue groups, their diversity groups. There are now so many questions going to corporate America that Fortune 500 companies have entire departments, not an individual, entire departments that their whole job is answering survey questions that then go into these corporate ratings. That's all they do year round. And what are these meant to do? Well, you know, you, you, you send your survey in year one, pick your issue, environment, social or governance, whatever, and you rate the companies. Well, some of these rating agencies then actually have services that help you get, get a better rating. So, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to make money off of it. But B, then in year two, you, change, you, you move the ball, right? So, you know, let's, take, let's stick with the environment, right? By 2050, are you going to be carbon neutral? Okay, cool. Now you have to do it by 2045. Now you have to do it by 2040, you know, and, and they just keep moving the goalposts to effectuate corporate change. One of the best examples of this of all time is something called the Corporate Equality Act. It comes out of the outfit, the human rights campaign we mentioned a little earlier. The Corporate Equality Act was ostensibly set up, what, 16, 17 years ago, something like that, to ask companies about um, benefits being equal between gay and lesbian employees and, and straight employees. That was essentially what it was. Well, fast forward a couple of years ago, they said, well, to keep your perfect score, the Corporate Equality Index this year, you have to have one outward facing event every year that promotes LGBTQ causes. Okay. 
Well, once they got that and the companies all got beholden to their perfect score, you know, two years ago, they go and tweak it. I said, that's great. Now, if you want your perfect score this year, you have to have three events. So if you wonder why three public facing events, so if you wonder why so much advertising mm. is just LGBTQ in your face constantly and promotion of those, their causes, well, part of it is to keep the perfect score on the human rights campaign, corporate equality index. If you want to know why you have so many trainings on LGBTQ awareness and sensitivity and everything else, well, again, a couple of years ago, they mandated that you have one training. Now they mandate that you have to have three trainings every single year for your staff or you lose your perfect score. And guess who provides those trainings for a fee? Well, none other than the human rights campaign themselves, of course. <laughs> and so, again, where are the questions? What a business model. <laughs> Right. Well, where are the questions coming from right of center? That's my point, is they're moving the ball all the time, and we're not even playing the game. So to be very clear, a lot of the pressure boards are feeling is from these outside activists. Oh, big time. It's big not coming time. from within the company that a lot of these CEOs and leaders in the company are s somehow enlightened about life and the environment and family values. It's not coming from that. When you, when you intentionally move the board to the political left, and then they're hearing from their political left employees. And then they're hearing from political left outside groups. Well, it's, you know, all of these voices combined together are what's pushing corporate America further and further and further to the left. Um, and, you know, one, one thing that the left has always been good at too is, is, is messaging, right? And so they go to these companies and they're constant refrain. I hear it from the activist employees, I hear, I hear it in the, you know, the New York Times all the time. Um, and then the shareholder activists, is they tell the companies, you can't be neutral anymore. You can't be neutral. I mean, Warren Zinn, the terrible late historian, you know, titled his autobiography, you can't be neutral on a moving train, right? So the left, I mean, horrible historian did a lot of bad for American history and American schools, but that's a great title for a book. But the left has created the moving train. And then they tell the company, you can't be neutral on it. Yeah. And, by, and by the way, if you pick the wrong side, we're going to beat you over the head. Right. So that, that, that's where we've gotten um, with the wokeness smacking everyone in the face. And I think that one reason, you know, there's a couple of reasons for optimism. First is that, as we mentioned with the Gallup polling, conservatives for the first time have figured this out. Mm. That business ain't with you. <laughs> Not even close. So there's, a, there's an appetite, appetite for doing more. Another reason for optimism is the left did all of this in the daylight. This wasn't in some smoke-filled room. Mm. All of this, all of what we've ever done with the Free Enterprise Project is a carbon copy of the, the, what the left showed us how to do, how to you know, activate and you know, effectuate change within the business community. Who are some of the active groups on the left? We probably know most of them. Yeah, so As You Sow is a collection of the liberal shareholder activists, the dozens and dozens of groups that work um, together in concert. It's called As You Sow, S-O-W. The left is always very good. Again, what are we talking about? At messaging. They steal biblical language, right, for their, for their purpose. Series is another one of these big groups. And then there's a couple that are under the radar that you, you may not know as well. Um, and these are the proxy advisory. Is this big money? Oh, yeah. Like oh, in, yeah. in dollar terms. Yeah. True. I mean, well, think about it. Too. We, we mentioned BlackRock earlier, right? What is it, like nine trillion in assets under management? Right. 
you can't get bigger than that, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's trillions of dollars pushing for these initiatives um, every single year. So yeah, it's it's big money. It's BlackRock. It's State Street. It's Vanguard. It's the left wing state pension fund, state pensions in left wing states. New York, New York's comptroller who oversees um, you know the, the New York State Retirement Fund. He's one of the most active shareholders in in America. And pushing all sorts of liberal causes while, you know, who knows how well the pension fund's performing because he's not doing his day job. Uh, but I haven't looked into that in a while. But yeah, I mentioned earlier, Calpers and Calsters in California, they're very involved. Um, okay. in Philadelphia, Connecticut, these retirements. And my, my point is, why can't right state pensions start copying their model? Yeah. And again, I implore them, Texas, Florida, start engaging with your money. Those are some huge pensions. What but about the big kahunas in social media? Uh, Twitter and Google, have you gone after those groups? They're the ones that bother a lot of people because we're talking about free speech issues. Regularly, all the time. We're constantly engaged with big tech. You lay out questions at our meetings? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to say since 2016, we've, tried, we've gone to every single Facebook meeting consecutively, every Twitter meeting. Yeah, we're there. We're there. Alphabet, which owns Google and YouTube, they're you know just as bad, if not worse. Uh, Amazon regularly censors conservatives um, and, and blocks some conservative groups from receiving money through their charitable program. Um, yeah, we're 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 you know Netflix. My goodness, yeah, we're we hit them all. <laughs> Equal opportunity. There's too many targets out there, John. <laughs> so then it's just a matter of keep pushing because this strategy would seem to be quite intelligent. Um, it's just a matter of accelerating. The pain on them. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if we, again, if we inflict the same level of pain that they feel from the other side, that's, that's the key to success. That's absolutely the key to success. Um, so, you know, if you, if you are a second amendment group, if you're uh, a life group, uh, a religious freedom group, start questioning these companies too. put, put together a questionnaire in year one. It doesn't have to be perfect. And then try and move the ball in year two and three and just keep constantly letting them hear from our side. Um, yeah. And look, I'm happy to walk folks through how I do this. Uh, it's, it's simple, fun. Uh, let me give you a great example. A couple of years ago, um, this very loud woman on The View, a television show called The View on ABC named Joy Behar, called our vice president, Mike Pence, mentally ill. Why did she say that? She said, because this lunatic, quote, talks to God, which is just so wildly offensive. We all, you know, all, all Christians. A lot of people of faith and none and no faith would be deeply offended by that and should be. Exactly right. And so what did people do? Again, they went on Twitter and Facebook or their blogs and they riffed and got angry. Well, three weeks later was the Disney shareholder meeting. Disney owns ABC. Mm. And so I just asked Bob Iger, then the CEO, considered the most powerful man in Hollywood, why this was okay for one of his highest ABC paid personalities to offend Christians, you know, worldwide, people mm. of faith. He goes, Justin, I want to stop you right there. So you should know I was offended. We had Joy call and apologize, Vice President Pence. I said, that's great, which this was not public at that point, obviously. I said, that's great, but her sin was public. Her apology should be public too. Four days after the shareholder meeting, she opened the view with an apology to everyone that she had offended. It turns out Vice President Pence on that phone call had actually asked her to do that, too, and she refused. Wow. So showing up as a shareholder, I got what the vice president couldn't get. So that I mean, that's, you know, you, you, 
get mad, sure, but then do something about it. But Twitter and Facebook and some of those social media platforms seem to be winning the culture wars. You seem to be outmaneuvered, and it just seems like an overwhelming task to bat back to them. Yeah, look, we're not going to solve Twitter and Facebook tomorrow. Um, that you're absolutely right about that. But we need to, you know, start trying more and more tomorrow because look, their their level of control over information is something unparalleled, right? It, it, really in human history. Mm. Um, and they, like most of the left, they they live in a post truth era, right? They've already decided what truth is. Um, there's no objective search for the truth anymore there. It's whatever the subjective folks in Silicon Valley believe it to be and what comports with their worldview. So, yeah, it's that is a it's a massive problem. Um, and frankly, we can thank some of our libertarian friends for that, say, mm. you know, because I have a lot of libertarian tendencies and sympathies, but we don't actually live in an Ayn Rand novel. The market ain't going to solve this tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and that's what their messaging has been forever is leave these companies alone. The market will solve it. The market will solve it. Well, how did it, how, how did that work out for Parler? Yeah. They tried to be a competitor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazon, Apple, and Google said, get on a, get on a zoom probably and say, Hey, let's boot them off. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you mentioned Silicon, but that's a whole different universe. They're in their own bubble. Some people say that regardless of shareholder activism, a lot of the employees are the, you know, maybe the vast number of employees who work in Silicon Valley or a place like Facebook have very liberal tendencies. They've this, I don't know, uh, this, I, I was going to say free speech, which would be incredibly wrong, but they have a mentality that doesn't um, square with mainstream America. No, I mean, and, and yeah, free speech is wrong, but I mean, control over speech is another yeah. way to put it, right? They yeah. have so much control over what you see, what you hear, um, and the, the discussions of the day. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, and here's what folks might find super interesting. These far left companies that we're talking about, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Amazon, go to one of their shareholder meetings. They're not far enough left for their employees. Their employees show up because they all obviously have stock rights, right? And that their own employees are yelling at, at Amazon or yelling at Jeff Bezos, yelling at him because Amazon is killing the planet. So they're making high six figure salaries and they go show up and they yell at Bezos for not being liberal enough, not canceled, not burning enough books, not burning enough digital books. Facebook, same thing. Their employees show up and demand more conservative content be removed. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> you know, and do you wonder if this may go in an interesting direction that won't exactly sit well with some, and others will say will cheer them on that workers who are of let's say a traditional conservative bent may organize and say, guys, we have to preserve family values in America. We're going to organize. We're going to somehow unionize so that when they send that HR manual out to us, asking us to sign on to the, some extreme radical parade, if we don't go to where we're fired, we're going to say no. So some kind of um, a values charter for the ordinary person, and they organize around that. Is, is that possible? Could that happen? Yeah, I, I think there's great value in that because there's power in numbers, right? 
I think that, you know, employee resource groups need to need to spring up. There's, you know, in affinity groups of pretty much every kind. Right. And so, yeah, folks who believe in, in, in traditional values, believe in, you know, America's founding does do not, you know, doesn't think that we are currently a white supremacist nation. Yeah. Um, they, they need to have voice, but they, they're going to need power in numbers. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, even, even a few years ago, the first Google shareholder meeting I went to before they, you know, alpha became alphabet, right? I, got, I can't tell you the number of emails I got from Google employees saying, thank you, saying, thank from you. Google employees emailed yeah. you to thank you. Thank me because they said, look, you just said to our CEO, what we say, like in private, like meetings, because there are, you know, there are still some libertarian and conservatives at these organizations. They just feel incredibly marginalized. So, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe it's, you know, not going to work at, at a Silicon Valley company, but I have to imagine Coca-Cola, you know, they're not all woke. Mm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People just, you know, like to, you know, make new products and advertising and everything else and work in the legal department that really, if they, if they got, got some numbers, I think could have a tremendous impact because again, when we talk about this bottom-up problem, the woke employees have no qualms going to management. I, I can't tell you how many meetings I've had with C-suite folks where I do ask them, why do you do liberal XYZ elemental P? It doesn't matter, any position. They almost all in unison say the same thing. It rings in my ear. I hear it so much. They say, that's what our employees want us to do because that's who they're hearing from, the employee base that acts. So it tells me a few things. It tells me, A, what we've talked about, that the woke employees feel emboldened that, 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 to speak up. That's true. And that conservatives are self-censoring. But it tells me if management's being honest about that, that they do look to their employee base when they're taking actions, that they, they believe they're responding to their employees' voices. And so if those voices were to coalesce together um, and, and speak back, they would be hearing from both sets of employees. And my response has always been, and these corporate leaders, you know, blow me off, but I'm like, why don't you try silently polling your employees? Because I'm pretty sure that you're just hearing from a vocal minority. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So you would say, go for it. Any of those employees who have traditional values and are sick to, this, to their stomach with what's coming down from the boardroom, you know, organize, coalesce, and, and, and put together some kind of a manifesto and do it in a peaceful way sensible way and lobby the c-suite yeah look the other side's doing it yeah um, and they're doing it to great effect so absolutely i would encourage employees um do get power in numbers <laughs> the best that you can um and, and yeah let let management know that this is just crazy we're, we're, we're going it basically again the left is marching through these institutions the same way they marched through college campus and pretty soon if that that voice doesn't speak back Big business is just going to be the next college campus. It's going to be a place of liberals, by liberals, and for liberals. And you and your values, I mean, and a lot of, you know, conservatives tend to skew older. And I always say this, well, and a lot of, you know, folks were in business in a different era, you know, the Jack Welch, the Bernie Marcus yeah. era. Um, and that's where their mindset is. And I, I, I look at them and I say, don't you want your grandkids or, or children to be able to work at some of the most innovative and powerful companies in the world? Like they're not going to be able to if they share your values, right? You know, I, I, when I graduated from law school, um, all of our, you know, counselors, uh, career counselors, you know, I was the president of the Christian Legal Society. I was in the Federalist Society. 
Mm-hmm. I was told I had to take that off my resume if I wanted a job. That was more than 10 years ago. Wow. You were told right? you had to take it off your resume. Yeah. Well, they said you can send it out, but you'll never get a job. Mm. If you want a job, you better take it off. Yeah. And so yeah. think about that. That was 10 years ago. I can't imagine that. Like the, the president of a college Republicans group. Like unless you're going to go work for a Republican, you probably have to take that off these days. Mm-hmm. But that shouldn't be the case. Wow. You referenced consumers getting involved and so on and boycotts. So is there is there some way consumers could get their message out besides what you've been talking about? Stop buying those, the products of woke companies, or does that kind of, that backfires a bit? Well, uh, it harms the message because it's never been done successfully. So if you think you're going to organize the first successful conservative boycott, good luck. The other issue I'll say is, you know, if we really boycotted every woke company, I'm pretty sure we'd have to move out to the woods, hunter gather, and you know make our own clothes. I mean, just on you know, let's take the two issues we started at the top with the Equality Act and Georgia. Again, there's 400 some odd companies on the wrong side of the Equality Act, and there is 1,200 companies last I checked on the wrong side of the issue in Georgia. I don't know about you, John, but I don't have time to cross check 1,600 companies before I go shopping. And yeah. once I got to the store I'm allowed to go to, I don't know how I could cross check that and see what I'm allowed to put in my cart. Yeah. What else is up, Justin, for your group? Any new campaigns that you're targeting? Can you share them with us? Yeah, absolutely. We're pushing companies through shareholder resolutions to adopt board diversity, viewpoint diversity, diversity of thought, not diversity of what someone looks like, because we think that part of the imbalance, again, stems from the fact that boards are leaning so dramatically left at many major American corporations that there's no critical question being asked when they take woke positions of, hey, why do we keep doing stuff that offends half of our customer base and half of our investor base? So we're pushing corporations to consider the fact that they've got an imbalance. I mean, we don't, the tops of these corporations shouldn't look like the faculty lounge at Yale, but, but more and more they're starting to do that. So yeah, we, we, we've been pushing this for a couple of years. Um, I just presented this resolution to Cigna um, and, and we're going to keep, we're going to keep filing these resolutions and trying to, you know, effectuate change on, on corporate boards. Um, we're going to be staying on election integrity for sure because it's still, it's still top of mind. And then we're gonna, you know, a lot of what we're doing, you know, we have the Investor Value Voter Guide, come to nationalcenter.org, check out the Investor Value Voter Guide, is we're educating investors on these liberal shareholder resolutions, on all of these environmental, racial justice, you know, union members on boards. We're, we're letting folks, um, we're, we've done the deep dive for you. We've done all the research. We found the worst proposals for 2021. We've identified them. Now it's just up to investors to take our guide and use it and vote. And this week we're coming out with a companion guide highlighting the worst board members in the United States of America. It's called Balancing the Boardroom. Oh. Um, that'll be out at nationalcenter.org. Is that a big list? Uh, it's, it's growing. Did the New York <laughs> Times publish it? <laughs> if we started writing it again today, it would be like twice as long as it already I'm, is. I'm, I'm sure the New York Times will want to get a copy of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll send them one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're we're proud of these two guides. They're the first guides of their kind. Um, wow. From 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 any right of center organization. That's a lot of research, though, Justin, to get the to get that list compiled. Oh, tremendous, tremendous amount of time. There was a, it was a labor of love, but hey, we're we're <laughs> trying to help wherever we can. 
Well, you're doing amazing, interesting work, and we'll come back to you again on your other campaigns. Justin, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for being on my show. It's been my pleasure. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.